0: Welcome. Isn't that funny? I'm welcoming people here. If you're visiting, I don't go to church here, but that's okay. Um, What we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about relationships and community in the body of Christ. And what I want to do is I want to kind of walk through the way that God has used this teaching to change my life. I mean, absolutely revolutionized my life. I grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved the Lord. And we went to a church near here-ish. Let's say that, near here. And it's, and I, I poured myself out in this church. I got saved at a young age. And really, I, I mean, I, I, one of those, I'm one of those testimonies where people say that every time the doors were open, we were there, that's me. I was there. And really poured myself out into this ministry, into this church. In fact, um, when, when I graduated high school, I went to Temple Baptist College, which no longer exists. So, you can't go visit. And um, and right after right after I graduated high school, the student pastor that I had left the church. And they asked me to fill in as a student pastor, which was a terrible idea. Because I was not able to teach. And... Uh, and I and then I started working at a place called Longhorn Steakhouse, you guys have probably heard of it, on Turfway Road actually, you guys know where that is. Um, and I had a really weird realization one day when I realized that I had, that more people cared about me at the restaurant I worked at than in the church that I went to. It was crazy. I can remember, I remember it distinctly because you know, people want to believe lies more than they want to believe the truth. And I got into a situation where I had uh, made a certain young lady pretty angry at me. And she decided to start a lot of rumors about me that were just terrible. And it was so weird because I was feeling ostracized by my church that I thought, I mean, this was like, this was my home, right? And I was going, I was working at a, 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 as a cook in a restaurant. Where I don't know if you guys have ever worked in food service, typically the people in food service don't have the highest moral caliber. And what was amazing was that these guys that I worked with, and it's kind of like the front of the house are the people that they the restaurant is okay people seeing, and the back of the house is the people that they don't want you to see them at all. And that's where I was. I was working with those guys. In fact, it was crazy. I I had such a really good relationship with these guys. And they, none of them were believers, openly living their lives, contrary to what the Bible teaches, and I mean, in, really in destruction. They were destroying themselves, but they cared about me. In fact, there's one story I was telling my brother the other day. It was really funny. They knew that I, wasn't, I didn't drink, and I couldn't legally anyway, so it would have been double trouble. And, uh, but they would all go partying on Friday and Saturday nights, we would get off work, you know, it's working at a restaurant, you're done at like 11.30, and they would all go partying, go and hang out at people's houses or go to bars. And I told them, you know, if you guys go to someone's house, I'll go with you because you guys are my friends. If you go to a bar, I'm not going to do that. And they loved when I would go hang out with them because I would drive all of them home afterwards. And they were so cool because they would buy me drinks. They would either buy me yoo not kidding, you delicious chocolate drink, and or uh, cream sodas, IBC cream sodas. Hilarious. But I was thankful because they're like, we want you to hang out so they'll buy me drinks, you know. And at one time I was drinking a cream soda and a friend of mine uh, came up to me and grabbed me and said, and he had had way more than is responsible to drink anyway. And he grabbed the drink from me and said, you shouldn't be doing this. He said it in a slurred way. And it was, it was, it was so fascinating to me because I realized that he cared about my standards, even though my standards were different than his, that he didn't want me to do something that he thought I believed was wrong. I, was, I mean, it just blew me away. I mean, because this is at the time, I had people who I thought were the closest connected to me ever, believing all kinds of terrible lies about me. And then I had this guy who wasn't a believer, who'd grown up in a Christian home but had rejected it and didn't want me drinking when he was completely drunk himself because he cared more about me than that. It was crazy. And what I've realized is that oftentimes in churches, we were actually talking about this in our Bible study this morning, oftentimes in churches, it's really hard to get these types of connections with each other because in church, we know this is how I'm supposed to look, right? If I call myself a Christian, I'm supposed to look like this. And we know inside us, right, that we are pitiable, we are naked, we're empty. We, every one of us, when we're in that time of confession, that's powerful, right? Every one of us knows areas of our lives this week where we have not lived consistently as Christians. And unfortunately, we are afraid to share those moments and those instances with other Christians because we're afraid that they're going to look down on us when in reality, those are the only people who can understand what we're going through, right? Because we have this standard that we need to live by, we're ashamed to share that with other Christians who've been forgiven of the same sins that we have. You know, it's crazy because in the, in the body of Christ, uh, Confession of sin is the most anticlimactic thing in the world. You guys ever experienced this? Many of you haven't. Many of you have never had confession of sin because you're afraid to share your sin with someone. We're going to talk about that this morning. But when you finally do share your sin with someone, you think they're not going to believe. They're going to hate me because of this. They're going to think that I'm dirty. I'm terrible. I'm the worst person ever. I'm the biggest sinner ever. And then you share, this is how I've sinned. And they say, yeah, man, we've been there. You're like, wait, what? You're supposed to like, aren't you supposed to like get a noose right now? Am I supposed to get executed? No. We know he feel. We've been there, because none of us is perfect. Let's just time out for just a second. You guys know that 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 you're you're not you're not perfect, and the person next to you also isn't perfect. We need to get that through our heads because for some reason we have convinced ourselves that we've done such a good job making everybody else think that we're perfect that if we let them see that we're imperfect, it's going to ruin their picture of us. They don't believe it and neither should you, right? In fact, there's one person who was perfect and he has given us his perfection and that's what we, the truth we need to live in. So following we go, I'm, we're back to relationships and community, I'm there. Uh, after, after I got really disillusioned, the, the current student pastor at my church told me that I needed to get out. He said, you need to go somewhere else. He said, I went to Liberty, you should go to Liberty. So I went to Liberty. I didn't know anything about it, I just knew that he told me to go there, so that's where I went. And, it was, and God used this in my life in so many ways. In the first semester, there was a professor, his name was Don Fowler. Just awesome, godly dude. And he wasn't supposed to preach in chapel, but got a call like that morning oh, the chapel speaker, he's out. You're up. So he preached out of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Because here, oh, with our notes, every one of us, this is what we need to know every one of us longs to be part of something bigger than ourselves. If you're taking notes, we need to understand this because we have this longing inside us. We long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. The reason for that is because we've been created in God's image for relationships. We have, and we can't get away from it. No matter how you, far, you, no matter how you try to get away from it, you can't because you're still God's creature living in God's world. You, just, you are. And this is what's crazy. So um, Nathan mentioned I'm getting ready to, I'm starting. I actually, my first class is tomorrow morning. I'm starting a PhD program where my goal is to talk about how Christianity provides explanatory power for the world in which we live in. And I'm gonna, I wanna do so on an academic level because I wanna be able to answer these questions. But we also need to understand on a practical level, Christianity makes the most sense of the world in which we live in. Because it's the teaching of, of scripture that we know that we are relational beings and that we've been created for this community and relationships with each other. And then so, in Acts chapter 2, this is God's word. In Acts chapter 2, you guys have already gone through this, so this is a review for you guys. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42 and following, talks about how what the, what the Christian community looked like in, there in the first century. And it was this teaching that changed my life. Here we go. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. When I saw this, man, my heart was just stirred. Because what we're seeing here are people that got it, right? These were these were. These were people who had heard Jesus teach and preach and they automatically started applying it to their lives, how they were living together. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a community with these life-giving relationships. Everybody is sharing what they have. It's, It's the same thing that you guys were praying in your generosity prayer. Like they're using this so that there's no one that has need and what's happening? It's so attractive to the outside world, right? The Lord is adding to their number day by day. Why? Because they're seeing something lived out in real life that fills the longings of their souls, right? Because we've been, and I mean, we see ourselves trying to figure it out somehow. Like all of, all of culture are different groups of people trying to find something that will satisfy them, right? Whether it's, you know, working at a restaurant together, or maybe it's a sports team, or maybe it's a hobby, or maybe it's a profession, whatever it is, we're trying to find a place where we belong. We're trying to find a place where we're affirmed, where we're where we are known and where we know others. And what we're seeing is the church is God's answer for that. That's why it's cool. Your church is called fellowship. Because this is what the that's what they're committed to, right? That's it comes from a fancy Greek word that just means having everything together, having everything in common. And that's what we're longing for. We're longing for this. And the reason why we're longing for this is not just because it's something that's really cool, something that's really... F- oh, and if, I mean, think about this, right? Right now, our culture loves socialism. We love it. Our culture is everything is tending towards it. This generation is like, man, we need these ideals. And the reason for that is because on paper, socialism is beautiful, right? I mean, you're talking about wouldn't it be awesome if we could live in a world where everybody just did their job with whole, wholeheartedly and we all get paid the same thing and everybody gets along. Yeah, that seems awesome. Yay, socialism. But what's the problem? Oh, I'll tell you, it's human sin. It's selfishness. It's not going to work. Why? Because if I'm told that it doesn't matter how hard that I work or how many hours I work doing my job, if I'm going to get paid at the end of the week, I'm going to find a way to slack off. I'm going to do that. I do that with my job that requires me to do stuff anyway, right? I mean, I, that's what we're, when we're all going to do that. And if someone's like, oh, well, you have to go to school for like 12 more years after high school, you don't have to finish high school at all. We're going to pay you both the same. Nobody's going to be like, oh, great deal. I'm going to get to med school, right? It's not happening, but we see this and we long for it. Why? Because this has been this this is rooted in creation. Our need for community is rooted in creation. So let's look at creation. We already sang about it. Let's look at it. And as you as you read through in Genesis chapter one. We see that God is creating and it's following a certain pattern. This is really cool. This is the way a lot of Hebrew mind works is they would set these patterns and then they would break it to make a big point, right? So as you look through the days of creation, was it's like God speaks and something happens and then he looks at it, he inspects it, and then afterwards he gives a judgment on it. He says, this is good, right? And it happens like that. It's like he, he speaks, it happens, he He says, oh, I like this, it's good, and it says the evening and morning were that day. Well, we follow that all the way through to day six, and then at the end of day six, it's supposed to say that the evening and morning were the sixth day, but instead, he breaks the pattern. What? Oh, let's look. What's he saying? It's in uh, Genesis 126, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And he blessed them, right? And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, and in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Finally closes that chapter, both literally and, fig- and figuratively. But look at what he says. Let's look back in verse 26. Now remember, this is Hebrew scriptures, right? And Hebrew, the Hebrew nation was set apart from all other nations because they worshiped one God. In fact, if you had like a theme verse for the Jewish religion, it would be Deuteronomy 6.4. It's so important. They gave it a name. They called it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right? So, they're a monotheistic religion in the middle of a pagan culture with multiple gods, right? And he says this. On page, this is like basically page one of the Bible. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Have you ever stopped and thought, how is God speaking with a first person plural pronoun? That's how nerds talk, right? You guys think like that? I do. Oh, this is the first-person plural pronoun. Anyway, that's how my mind works. I'd diagram it. It'd be awesome. And, uh, but isn't that fascinating? It's a monotheistic religion. There's one God. And it's, what's crazy is if you look through Hebrew um, commentaries on this, they're confused by this because they believe in one God. They'll say that maybe it's like a royal we, you know, the, the royal plural, like get us our carriage, which if you were the white witch of Narnia, you might say. Or they'll say that God is so big that a single pronoun, a singular pronoun couldn't hold him. I don't think either one of those is correct. I think we're getting a picture into the Trinity. Right? You guys know Trinity's not, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But what, what Scripture clearly teaches is that God the Father is God. And Jesus Christ the Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And that there is one God. Right? And that what we see in the Trinity is this amazing picture of community. Because we know that we have been created in the image of a relational God. Because God at his core is relationship. In fact, he is the perfect relationship. God exists as community. And when he created mankind, he created us in his image for that type of relationship, both with him and with each other, right? And Nathan mentioned it before, right before I came up here, right? Because we have been reconciled with God, we have the ability to be reconciled with each other. That's awesome, right? I mean, have you ever stopped and thought through this, that we have been created in the image of a relational God? And so these, these, this longing that we have both to know and to be known, this is rooted in creation, this is who we are. Because I started thinking, man, I'm lonely. I want people to know who I am. Why is that? Is that a weakness in me? Am I just weak? No, because that's what we long for. And what's awesome is that we've been created for that, and the church is the answer. The church is the fulfillment of that. Look, and, I, and so that you don't think I'm just reading too much into this, as we look through in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a close-up on, uh, on the day 6 of creation, the last day of creation, and we see a couple things. Remember the refrain over and over the, in, in the creation week. He looks at it and he says, this is good, right, okay? Remember that. Because when we get to verse 218, something should jump out at us. It's like being hit with a, by a freight train, right? In verse 218 it says, "Then the Lord, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Oh, time out. Uh, everything, when, when God looks at his creation, he says it's good. And we're, this is before sin has entered in the world. How is God looking at his creation and saying it's not good? Did God create something that was wrong? No. It, this is a rhetorical device so that we can understand the, the intention with which God is creating. And that man, and this is crazy, man Adam, on his own, just Adam, if God had not finished replicating his image, because part of what it means to be in the image of God is relationship that's why he says hey, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him, and not only does it do we get to see that God God walks Adam through that as well, like that's when he says, here, name all the animals, and he names all the animals, and he gets and he's like, "Wait a second, something's going on here, there's a cow and there's a bull." For me, there's not a helper found for him. Like, I think not find a helper for me. I can't find my other side. And then that's when God that takes his rib, makes it to a woman. And then when, he, when God brings Eve to him, he is so excited that he sings a song right there on the spot. Um, it's, a, it's more of a love poem. But anyway, it's awesome. And that's when we get to the point where they come together that says that, it's crazy," he says. "I will call you woman because you were taken from man. Woman is just—he's already been creative. He did a love song, so give, cut him a break because woman just means from man. This is a from man, and um, and he just named everything else. His his creativity is zapped. He came up with aardvark, so we're cutting him a break here. Says <laughs> from man, I like you, and uh, and then it says." right? It kind of gives a summary. It says in verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I mean, this is it, right? Like this is, they've, they've been created and they are experiencing, this is, there's no secrets, no nothing, just perfect community relationship. But unfortunately, what happened, right? We know that sin entered the world, right? And that sin breaks our relationship with God, And with each other. One thing that's really interesting. So sin breaks our relationship with God and with each other. And when you see that Adam and Eve sinned, do you know that their first instinct was to hide from each other? Isn't that interesting? As soon as they realized they were naked, they made fig leaves. And this is what scripture says, to hide themselves from each other. Because sin damages everything. It damages every relationship. It damages our ability to have a relationship with God and it damages our ability to have relationships with each other. And ever since then, we were born into sin and our first instinct, our first instinct is to hide our sin from each other and from God. And what's crazy is that even when we're in Christ, when we have confessed and repented before God and we have found forgiveness in God, it's still so easy for us to keep those same fig leaves to hide ourselves from each other. Isn't that fascinating? Again, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we be able to share that with each other? We're all a part of a community who have been forgiven. We know the price that was paid for our sins. So why wouldn't we be sharing that with each other, right? And it's just because we continue we continue to sin. We continue to live in this, but we shouldn't. That's not what we have in the gospel, right? Because we know that because sin breaks our relationship with God and each other, the gospel is the answer, right? The gospel provides reconciliation between us and God and then a reconciliation between us and each other. Let's look, let's look at one of my favorite passages of scripture. This is John 17. We're gonna read the whole chapter because it's so good. John 17 is a prayer, From Jesus, when he was on earth, to God the Father. Which, if you take a minute, you'll get super confused by that, right? Because we're talking about an intra-Trinitarian conversation. And not only is this a conversation between Jesus, God incarnate, and God the Father, but this is like the most stressful moment of his life. You guys remember that when Jesus was getting ready to offer himself up on the cross, that he spent time in prayer in the garden, and you guys remember this was the most stressful time of his life, right? You guys remember when uh, it was talking about how he was under so much stress that he was like sweating drops of blood, right? This is a big deal. This is the time that we're talking about here. This is the last extended prayer we have from Jesus, It's actually the longest extended prayer we have from Jesus ever. And I want you to look at the content of Jesus' prayer during the most tense time of his life, all right? It says, when he had spoken these things, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, right? That's what we're talking about. Eternal life is found in a relationship with God, in knowing God, having that relationship restored. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. This is cool, too, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, talking about how the Trinity is the perfect relationship of an eternal community, knowing, loved, affirmed in and of itself. I've manifested your name to the people you have given me out of the world. Who's he talking about, right? His disciples and those who are following him, right? I've given them, um, it Says yours they were, and you, have, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words you gave me, and they've received them. And have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. And then he prays for his disciples and those who follow him. In verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. And look at what he says, that they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't that awesome? He's praying. He's getting ready to die, right? To be crucified. And he says for his disciples and those who follow him, God, please give them unity. Make them one, even as we are one. What a high standard. That's a high standard. Okay. It says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas. We know that. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and your world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. And if he stopped right there, man, what a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer of Jesus caring for those who are following him, saying, God, please keep them, guard them, and make them one. But then what's amazing, and this, the first time I read this, it blew my mind, is that he turns and then he prays for us. Look at this, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's the rest of church history. He's praying Jesus, right, before he, he gave himself up to be crucified, prayed for me and you. And look at the content of his prayer. This is huge. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying that we have the same type of, of intimacy and communion with God the Father that Jesus has. Man, that's heavy. Not only that, and he says, so the world may believe that you sent me. He says, the glory I've given to them, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So his prayer is not not just that we have this relationship with God, but that we exemplify the love that exists in the Trinity. We need to have the same type of unity that the Father, Son, and Spirit have in and among themselves. That's amazing. Man, and for a lot of us, man, our heart leaps at that because we know that's what we were created for. We were created for that and we were called to that. We were called to that type of community with each other. And then again, he repeats it. This is, this is awesome. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one again so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you sent me. I may know to them your name. I'll continue to make it known. Look at this that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus' prayer is that we have so much unity in and of ourselves that we love each other with the same love that Jesus and God the Father loved each other with. This has led many to speculate that the Holy Spirit really is the love between the Father and the Son. And because we are filled With the Holy Spirit, we are filled with his love. That's beautiful. I'm not certain if that's the true nature of the Trinity, nor do I think we'll ever understand the true nature of the Trinity. But I mean, how powerful is that? Jesus is praying for you that you have the same love with each other that the Father and the Son have among themselves. That's amazing. And so what we see here is that if you're in Christ, like this is what we have for us. And I'll I'll time out. If you're not in Christ, if you've not confessed, repented, believed in Jesus, you're not gonna find fulfillment in this life. Man, that song, Jesus is Better, I love it because we realize that our hope, our identity, our sufficiency, our fulfillment can only be found in Jesus. Everything else will not satisfy, if you are not in Christ, you'll not be satisfied, you'll not be fulfilled. Uh, Augustine said that you've made us for yourself and so our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Uh, Blaise Pascal talked about how we have a God-shaped vacuum inside us that will stay a vacuum, it will stay empty until it's filled with, our, with the relationship with God. And for those, for those of us who are in Christ, then practically, we need to look at Scripture through the lens of this relationship with each other and look at what I'm gonna call the one another's in Scripture. Practically, we need to learn from these one another's. If you get some time, which you have plenty of time, pay attention to the, the commands and the descriptions of these one another's in the New Testament, where we see this is how we're supposed to take care of one another. I'm going to read a couple. I'm just going to throw them out there. First 1 Thessalonians 5 says, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, we see, consider how to stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. Romans 12, be devoted to one another, give preference to one another. Romans 14, let us pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Let's think through, how are we living our lives with other Christians are we, do you honestly take time to consider how to stir others up to love and good deeds? Do you stop and think, how can I give preference to others? Do you stop and think, how can I see myself lesser and them greater? Do we do that? That's what Christ is calling us to. Ephesians 4 says, you know, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then he grounds it in the fact, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because you understand that this provides the context for our relationships with each other and for our conflict resolution, right? Think about this. The two analogies that are used the most in the New Testament to talk about Christians are family and body, right? We say that, right? We are part of God's family. If you're in Christ, you are God's son or daughter, And that means that you are eternally brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's my belief that God designed the family as a way of showing us as a shadow to show us this higher reality of what it looks like for us in the body of Christ. Like I have a brother and he and I will be biologically connected until one of us dies. It's kind of morbid. Hopefully it's me first. I don't like grief. I don't like loss. I'm going to die early. Um, But you guys know that? Like, we will biologically be connected until one of us dies. But because we're in Christ, we're eternally brothers. Eternally. And and so we get this picture of what it means to be brothers and sisters so that we can better understand what it's like to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we, Nathan and I, we fought a lot. Growing up, but if anyone said anything negative about him, it didn't. It was it was on. They could actually be repeating an insult that I said about him. But if they said it to me, hands are getting thrown. Right? You guys know what it's like. You don't say that about my brother, but uh, you just. I mean, you said it. You. Ju- I was repeating what you said. Nuh-uh. Nobody, nobody talks about my brother that way. I mean, right? We, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like that's how it is. That's how, that's how it's supposed to be. You're you're allowed to fight with each other. You get over it. But nobody, uh, uh-uh, uh we're there for each other. That's what I'm teaching my kids. They they got each other's back. Like, we're on the same team. And that's that's to show us, right, what it's like in the body of Christ. Same thing with the body. You know, your body works together so well. It works together so well. You don't even think about it. Right. And like for instance, um, uh, we live in the mountains and so everybody needs to take a class. If you're not from the mountains, if if you don't live near woods, you need to take a class on how to walk in the woods. Because if someone is following you and you're walking in the woods, you're in front of them, you do not, oh, there's a stick in the way. You don't just push it and then let go, right? Because all it's doing is it's building up potential energy that will become kinetic energy onto whoever's falling you you's face, right? That's just what happens. And what's funny is if you see that branch colliding towards your face, what do you automatically do? Right? You put your hands up. It's the same thing like, hey, have you ever been walking on the road and you try to step onto a curb and instead you step into a curb? Big difference. Because your momentum, your body is committed, I'm going forward, and instead of this motion, this motion happens, and the rest, you're falling headlong to concrete. What do you do? Put your hands up, yeah. Is it because you hate your hands? Is it? Is it like, you know what, I despise my hands. I want to scuff them up to where they get kind of fluffy, you know what I'm talking about? The fluffy skin with the beads of blood that comes up underneath, that's what I want. Despise my hands, no is we know instinctively that your hands can take a hit better than your teeth. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. Lead with the teeth. No, we wouldn't do that, right? It would be hilarious if we did. It's going to just jump down. Anyway, um, but what's crazy is that our body instinctively knows that we protect the weaker parts however why is it that in community we often attack the weaker parts easy targets I want to make myself look better so you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna put this person down I'm gonna put them down and my goal and this is I mean we don't say it out loud Right? We don't say, you know what, I want to put this person down because that's an easy target, and I want to get the people around me to look at me and think that I'm better than they are. We don't say that. That's exactly what we're doing. And when you need to understand this, that if, you are, if you're a child of God, that God is always on your team and on your brother's and sister's team. And when you say something negative about your brother or sister, You are aligning yourself against God. Man, that's heavy. That's exactly what you're doing. Because what do you think? Do you think, oh, God's going to love them less because I'm offended by them? Nope. It's not going to happen. And so for us, I mean, what we need to do is we need to internalize these truths, right? We need to internalize them. What I mean by that is if you're not a believer, you have these longings inside you. You have this longing to really know and be known. You have a burden of sin that you need to get off your back. And the only way to do that is through confession to your creator, that's it. That's the only way to get rid of that. And then for some of us, we're in Christ and we're not living, we're we're created for this relationship with God and with each other. And if you're not experiencing that, then most likely it's because of your pride. Because just like Adam and Eve, what you've done is you've created some sort of fig leaf that you're hiding behind. And you're not experiencing real fellowship. You're not experiencing real community because you're afraid of it. And that's your pride. And if we're called to be like Christ, have the mind of Christ, fear and insecurity, don't belong in the life of a believer. What do we need to do? Just like from the beginning, right? We confess that before God dropped the fig leaves. You want to be known and be known by each other. That's, that's what we've been called to. Not just call, we've been called to it, but even on a deeper level, we've been created for it. This is where genuine fellowship is supposed to take place. Here, and then in people's homes, and in small groups, maybe with some sort of accountability partner. And we, we're created for that, and we've been called to it in Christ. That's a big deal. So we need to, you know, we're, in a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing and worship to God. We're gonna, the deacons are going to be on the sides wanting to talk to you. But for some of you, you just need to spend time alone with Jesus. Some of you, for the first time, you need to confess your sin. And some of you, you need to confess that sin to someone else that you're harboring against. If you have if you have unconfessed sin before God or others, and you need to get that off your pl- you need to just get that off your back, get it out. It's going to just it's just going to continue to fester. And what's crazy is that two thousand years ago Jesus prayed a prayer for our unity, and we have the ability to help answer the prayer of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And if we do this well if you guys do this well here and in your homes and in your little communities, then this will be the best testimony of the gospel to the outside world, right? The biggest, the, the easiest pot shot to take against Christianity are Christians don't act like Christians. And they're right, right? We talked about that in our Bible study this morning. Hypocrisy, that turns people away from Christianity. But what if the opposite were the case? What if we loved each other so well? that everybody around you starts to say, I want what they have. I have a really cool testimony. A, a guy, uh, a good friend of mine who lives in Northern Illinois and they have a Bible study and they just started inviting friends to this Bible study. And this guy, his name is AJ, he said, you know what, I've been looking at your lives and been looking at my life and I want what you guys have and it looks like the only thing different between what you have and what I have is that you have Jesus. and that should be said about us that should be said about us that people should look and see the way that we are loving and caring for each other and they should say i want that right because practically that's what we want but on a deeper level that is what we've been created for and we have it at our fingertips and for so many of us we're neglecting that to hold on to our pride so my 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 challenge to you is drop it drop the pride realize hey we're all sinners we can do this together let me pray for us and we we'll respond and worship together through song father in heaven we exalt you we praise your name we're so thankful for the grace that you have given to us in the gospel thank you for giving reconciliation to us that we can confess and forsake our sin we can hand it over to you realizing that it has been paid for on the cross with the blood of jesus and we pray for you. We pray for. I pray for us now. Help us now to confess sin to you, and that if needs be to confess sin to others. Help us to forget about living up to a certain standard of life, some sort of like ideal, and realize that ideal has been fulfilled in Jesus, and we've been placed in us that we can live out what it means to be in the body of Christ, and we can love each other well, and that we will do so in such a way. That we're answering the prayer of Jesus, that the world will know that you're real, and that Christianity is not just a cool thing to be a part of, but it's the truth. We love you and praise your name of Jesus. Amen.